Are they really ringing the doorbell? Welcome to the Whovian Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. Colin reporting for duty. And I am Jace. And tonight we're going to do The Village of the Angels. And I must say, just to start off with, Chris Chibnall does do one thing really well. He does all of the classic Doctor Who villains really well. He puts his own spin on them, changes them up a bit. The Centaurans, we love that episode. They he brought back kind of the classic Centauran look and the kind of, and and melded it in with the Dan Starkey and silliness and humor, and kind of really made it made them kind of scary again. Um, the Daleks, he did something different with them in their very first episode with Jodie's Doctor. Um, I just wanted to say that because wait, I, wait did, does he actually control the the costumes and makeup? Well, he ha- his ideas are he's a showrunner, so he's in charge of absolutely everything that happens. So more than likely, he gave his ideas to them, and they went with it. Um, but his writing for these villains, the classic ones, his newer ideas, not so much so. But the original classic villain stories tend to do better than than the others. Yeah, I will say I will say this. I think that this is an exciting story with a with a classic villain. And it opens up, you know, big things and um, big revelations about it. But I also worry that it adds in new powers and perspectives to the Weeping Angels that take away from what was great about them. Like, we didn't know anything. They were mysterious. We knew that they were intelligent, but you could never reason with them, Um you know, are the Weeping Angels classic villains? Does that does that qualify? Well, I think they're an instant classic of a villain. <laughs> they became classic once they were released from Blink, I believe. Yes. Oh, see, I was thinking we were referring to ones from the classic Doctor Who versus New Who, and I was no. I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I'm talking about villains that have been around for at least a few stories that are gotcha villains. He well established. Invent. Yes. Yeah, I'd go with that, and you know. I just got to say about the season at large, like if they'd announced when, you know, Chris Chibnall took over that they were going to do a six part Doctor Who story as a season, I would have been up in arms about like about it. I would have gone on many long rants, but uh, I actually think that this season has been turning out excellently. And I think it, it works out well because although like there's a very strong, you know, continuous story and the same set of characters through all of them, like each episode has really, you know, had its own story arc too, and uh, yeah, I think it has. It's I actually, out nicely. For me, that might be another point of criticism because I kind of wish that they'd just lean into the full, exciting six-part story of it all. I kind of feel like they're going in between, you know, classic Who with you know a, 
a story in one episode and weaving another one on top of it. Oh, I like it. I, I like the way they're going with it, actually. I will uh, I will point out at this point that Maxine Alderton was an additional writer for this particular episode, and apparently she actually took on the responsibility of doing the Weeping Angel side of things, whereas um, Chris Chibnall did the Flux side of things. Um, I should point out that she was also um, the uh, the she also helped write the haunting of Villa Diodati from the previous season, which got a pretty positive review. Um, so I think she's definitely influencing um, a lot in this particular story, especially since she did seem to nail the idea of the weeping angels and how they should be, for the most part, uh, revealed and shown. And, and they kind of brought back a lot of the blink kind of... Yeah, well, visuals. One thing that that kind of threw me a little bit though was like that the doctor could see the stone stuff happening to Claire because previously when we saw the angel in the mind when it went into Amy's mind, like it, you know, she could see her hands turning to stone, but no one else could. Right. Well, and, and that may be, but the doctor, I don't think she knew until Claire told her in this particular story. Oh, okay, so you think... She... Yeah, because Claire was hiding it. When she swipes, swipe, uh, when the dust comes out of her eyes at the very be- towards the beginning when they're, when the doctor's on the staircase, she sweeps it away so the doctor doesn't even see it. Um, so I, I don't think the doctor actually saw that happening. It was, again, the same kind of concept of what happened with Amy, which made it a lot more scary, I think, in a way, because at least for the the people that have seen Amy go through this in the past, in Time of Angels, we have a reference. And so we know what's happening as an audience, but not everybody else does. Yeah, but I think there's a lot to unpack here, you know, with the, with the angels that we learned about them that we haven't seen before. Um, angels work for the Division? All, all of them? Have they always? I don't think all of them. I think there's just, just this group. Why, but, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, putting out there, and, and did they all used to be human or humanoid in one way or another? We don't know that. That's still a mystery. I know, but we, we also hear, you know, new things like angels are stealing voices now and talking through them. Well, it's, or, I think it, know, used the, it used the television to, t- to steal Jericho's voice and use his voice against him. But they, I think they use the television in order to get that voice to be heard. No, because he smashed the television and then he went to the staircase and the doctor said, for now, because he's like, you're being observed. And the, doc- and the angels were like, for now. So, I mean, all this oh, that's time. Yeah, apparently... that's, a, that's a really good point, too, because yeah. he's there observing them um, right in the moment and they're talking to him. So like sound is vibration. Well, wait a minute, though. The t- he did blow out the TV visual thing, but the audio would, could still be working. Yeah, but I doubt it. He smashed that TV to bits. Possibly. I don't know. And that angel that was there is probably not even in the living room. It's probably standing right in front of him. I think that was the point that they were trying to emulate. Well, it does beg the question, how is the angel talking if it cannot move? Exactly. That's a reasonable point. I thought also that, like, I was expecting there to be more 
to Claire's story when she was introduced in like the first episode this season of like, it seemed like there was going to be some sort of epic, you know, backstory. How did she know all this stuff about the angels and the doctor and all this? But then it was just like, oh yeah, I had a premonition. It was kind and of like, she's, eh. And it seems like she's <laughs> kind of dropped now for this particular episode because it's like, oh, okay, well now that we've already used this vessel, we don't really need her anymore. So it's just kind of weird. Yeah. Unless she pops up in future episodes. Yeah, but maybe. You know, you never know what might tie in, but I, you do worry, like, at this point, you know, in the season, are there too many, you know, people and too many characters to weave in? I mean, we're still getting crucial development moments just in this episode, episode four, you know, for Belle and her story and how she's connected to, you know, the larger happenings of the Flux. I had one gripe about the whole explanation of the quantum um, extraction. And is that, okay, normally when you extract something from the earth, it's gone and missing. There was no reference to the village actually being gone or missing from earth. A. B. Why extract it in the first place? Why don't you just go to that area? I know they wanted to trap the doctor in, in this kind of little spot, so to speak. But the problem is, is that there really isn't much of an explanation as to why they had to extract just that part of that village and what happened to it in, in general. Well, I actually, uh, when I was first watching this episode, like right towards like the beginning of it, like, well, I guess after um, Yaz and Dan got, you know, sent back in time or whatever, I was just like, this is a doctor trap. <laughs> I mean, I thought the whole thing was laid out very clear. Like, I mean, if I were a Doctor Who villain, that's how I'd trap the Doctor. Do something timey-wimey, mysterious, involve her friends, you know, have, you know, some innocent people just go missing, have the same event that occurs at two different times. And as a weeping angel, I mean, that's their whole shtick. So, like, I thought that it kind of fit in nicely for that, like, as far as just being a trap. But you're right, because it was the rogue angel that was really devising a trap for the doctor and that's not the one that did the quantum extraction of the village so yeah it just it just seemed to me like there was not a whole lot of explanation for quantum extraction well also the village has to go back because peggy has to go back to the real world you know and the village has to go back because if the village is missing then like the houses are missing and it's not that the houses were gone it's all the people were gone yeah i I also thought something was interesting when peggy was a kid you know back in time and she was saying like oh no one ever survives after being touched twice i feel like that wasn't a thing before oh yeah that wasn't no i i thought that was more of a this group of you know extraction team angels kill you if you get in their way more than once could be or it could just be an, a new angel ability but we had never had someone go back had be influenced by a weeping angel more than once before i feel like it hasn't come up yet really no it has not come up yet this I, is the like, first time so, that, so the doctor hasn't been hit more than once by a weeping angel over no, the Doctor's actually never been hit by a weeping angel before, technically. Until becoming one. <laughs> yeah. Can you hit yourself as a weeping angel? Um, <laughs> if Well, I mean, you can freeze yourself if you look at yourself in a mirror. So, I mean, 
I don't. That's why they easily. always, you know, instinctively put their hands in hands front of their, their eyes. Yeah. Another predictable thing was that Peggy is actually Miss Hayward in the future, because um, Mrs. Hayward is obviously going around and not being affected by the angels, and obviously Peggy says, "Well, I'm not affected. I, I'm not going to be touched by the angels again." So that was kind of a kind of like, "I know that's going to be Peggy. That's got to be Peggy." It was, but it, it, was. it was. I liked it. You know, that, that was a that was a fun arc in there. And I like, mean, that's just kind of like that's the Weeping Angels' whole whole thing is seeing that you know little tragedy there, and then we see you know also the version of it with our you know main companions and Jericho like being stuck in 1901, and like you see there. I mean, Yaz being like not being able to, like, admit <laughs> to Dan out loud that they're stuck there because, like, yeah, Dan's the newer one, but she's a woman <laughs> in 1901. That's, like, a lot harder than being a man in 1901. But they're also alone in 1901, so that's not a huge issue. Well, I mean, they're alone in the, in the village, but, like, presumably the rest of the... I mean, like, Peggy's got to go back to be, like, to become Mrs. Haywood, so... Okay, so something happened. Yeah, something's got it. Like, they have to return to, like, the real world in some way. Time marches on. If it's not in flux. <laughs> what did you all think of Yaz and Dan in this episode? Someone pointed it, put it in a corner. I, I thought when they faced the angel and Yaz started, like, mansplaining, don't blink... And Dan, I had, like, a moment of being like, yes, come on, man, you just found this out, too. But then, like, they turned it into, like, a let's just keep ourselves calm. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty cute. I like the fact that they're bringing back the idea that Yaz was a police officer. Yeah. And when she's questioning um, the grand, the aunt, uh, Gerald and Jean, who the were the yeah. uncle and aunt for Peggy, um, she actually goes into, well, what what can I know about this little girl? And she's trying to figure out some more in intel so she can actually go and find her and maybe get some sort of a relationship with her. That's very typical police work. And I, I thought that she had a better, stronger characterization in, in this whole season, but especially in this episode, she really kind of shines. And Dan seems to be almost the companion to Yaz in this because he's the one always asking all the questions. Well, which he is, is new. <laughs> true, but also it's like, are we going to get home? Which was kind of a tender moment when they yeah. first get there. Hey, very good question for this episode, you know, with this cliffhanger of an ending, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're here again in another situation where, like, the companions are stranded somewhere and they just have to rely on the doctor to show up. And who knows when the doctor will? I mean, how many I mean, times do we watch Rory die? In this and they just watch the doctor turn into a weeping angel before their eyes. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, so they're pretty, they're, they're pretty much stuck. I always wondered what happened to the reverend that came at the very beginning of the episode because it would have made sense if he was back in time with Peggy. He disappeared altogether. Yeah, well, the people that had been in the town in 1901 had to go somewhere, too. True. Maybe he... Because he was sent... Well, he was sent back bef after Peggy was sent back. Oh, so maybe that's how Peggy knew that if you get sent back twice, you die. That could be how she understood, yeah. That would make sense. So... I liked the whole little segment with Belle and that guy with the ridiculously long name. 
Namaka? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that was interesting. Be like, where she's, like, pulling him out and be like, we have got to get out of here. This is, you know, danger. And he's like, no, 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 I refuse. But he's still, like, running with her. And, like, even, you know, at the end where he's just like, I don't believe you, I don't believe you. But it's like, yeah, he kind of does. Otherwise, he wouldn't have run. He wouldn't have stayed lying down. You know, and, like, he kind of gets it. And then, like, you know, in the fake after the fake out ending in the mid credits we find you know where he's like accepted and is like yeah she saved my life and yeah. stuff i thought that was kind of a cool little yeah that cult life deception is a big you know powerful moment although I've, I've watched this twice now and i did notice that especially from where um you know the passenger is and where it, this like force is exuding from him and how everybody else is treated it doesn't really make sense that they could jump on the ground at one point and then mm-hmm. there'd still be just exuding energy going upward because that, that angle was all wrong, you know, when yeah. it was placed, placed in the field. But just one, one thing I noticed upon repeat, you know, in, in a technical production thing, but honestly, there was, there was great production value in this episode. There was great performance value in this episode. Um, and I thought it was thrilling storytelling as, as well. Yeah, the angels were truly, you know, a frightening villain. <laughs> yeah, they, they always were. But um, I, I also think that they they were great for this episode to, you know, see more and have, like, kind of a big epic conclusion. But I worry that going into the future that it just won't be the same. You know, I think they're... They're they're so humanized now, and you know they can hold conversations and have well, these, they, they could hold conversations visits. before. Yeah, but we got like a, a much more I think full view into their psyche, like them being uh, extraction squad for for the division, um, and you know the the direct stealing of voices, and um, I don't know. I just feel like they were a little bit more interesting, and they were a little bit more creepy when it was just like we know these are intelligent sentient creatures that go really quickly when they're unobserved and you know there's no reasoning with them they're like almost alien like like true alien like i know everybody's an alien in doctor who but this is just like who who knows what kind of consciousness you know is really floating behind them and now i see feel like we've pulled the veil back a little bit more um and, and i think there's a little something lost there going forward as epic as this was Chase, you've been unusually quiet. Do you have anything to add? I mean, I don't want to say it was just an episode because I don't feel that way, but I feel like everything was covered. I mean, we ran into Claire again, weeping angels. You look at them, you get the touch, and they talk. And then the doctor became an angel. What was really hard for me was that um, I didn't watch the episode the second it came out, and on Facebook I saw a picture of the Doctor as a weeping angel, and so I was like, okay, mm-hmm. now I know how this ends. So I guess it kind of made it not as exciting to go into the episode knowing the outcome, you know? And it was like a really quick thing, like, it, like it was just it just sucked. It really sucked. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> And I didn't, I should have watched it right away, but then I just went on and it's just this photo and it hadn't been anything else. Like if I saw a picture of a Dalek or like the Candyman or something stupid like that, it would have been <laughs> fine. But seeing something as monumental as the doctor as a weeping angel, just like in the split second of me scrolling down, I just kind of put a sour taste in my mouth. I would have to say that was a very powerful. It um, was. I would have loved so it. Like it was a big surprise it. to see. 
Yeah, I was. I mean, I was shocked, and I'm glad you didn't explain it to me. I didn't want to ruin it for two people. I'm not horrible. I know, I know. But I, I saw that picture, and I was like, I just got a huge spoiler. And you were like, don't tell me. I'm like, I was not planning to. Yeah, I know. You did a good job. One one character we haven't discussed yet, and I think is vital, is, yes, Eustace, Eustatius uh, Jericho. Jericho. Yeah, he he was great. He was like exactly the type of person the doctor's always seeking out, the consummate scientist who's, you know, a little bit bumbling, but <laughs> figures he's, it out. Interestingly enough, he's played by Kevin McNally, who, of course, is known as Gibbs, and that is Captain Jack, not Harkness, but Captain Jack Sparrow's right-hand man, first mate on all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, he's also been in Doctor Who before in the Colin Baker story, The Twin Dilemma, as Hugo. Whoa! So, and so a very young, uh, almost fresh out of acting school actor, he was in uh, Doctor Who, and now he's kind of come full circle. Jericho is like the quintessential Doctor Who character. He is... Um, a World War II veteran. He's seen um, the Nazi camps after they were all, as he pointed out in this episode, after after everything was going crazy. So he, he and he steps up to the plate almost as soon as he understands what the heck's going on. Sometimes he doesn't even understand it yet. He's just there wanting to learn and willing to do whatever. Like he wasn't like most people doing, just like freaking out. They're angels. They're moving. They're stone. He's like, I don't know what the hell's happening, but whatever you need, I got you. I know, and he was like, let me record this for science, by the yes. way. Like, like he was, was the great. perfect, like, He's... companion, like, character. Yeah, I mean, he did it exactly when, like, um, you know, Claire was visibly, like, having a seizure. And instead of trying to, like, get help or, you know, call for something also, or running medical done? supplies, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can try besides... Oh, yes, she's definitely freaking out, about to die here. Mm. <laughs> Very interesting data research. It's mind-boggling. I find it so interesting how they even came together, because the beginning of this episode, it was literally just him, like, experimenting on her, and I'm kind of curious as to how that relationship came to be out of nowhere. Well, I think, I think maybe really she might have sought him out to try to work out, you know, what was going on because she saw he was doing the research because, I don't know, after being stranded in the past, you know, for two years, you probably want to find some answers, but I they, they also like had that... into, like, a psychiatric situation, like an, an asylum kind of a thing. Oh. It seemed like she was getting nervous just at the idea or concept that, you know, she might reveal something about what she knew about from another time or how yeah. she was from yeah, another time. Yeah, that's true. So well, I thought there was something kind of coercive behind it or, you know, maybe just the coercive times of that age with, you know, asylums and such. Could be. Although I do, I have, I mean, as soon as I saw Jericho and got to know him, I was thinking, oh, this is would be like the perfect person to have like a fog watch and end up being a time lord himself because of the way he goes about doing things. He's very doctorate-like, but I don't necessarily think he's the doctor himself. I well, think he, keep in mind, like not all time lords are like the doctor. That's the problem. Right. And that's so why it, it just—it's like just that he reminds you of Professor Yana, yeah. the the one yes, that was the master. Exactly, but also um, uh, Professor Cronotus from uh, the Tom Baker story, Shada, very eccentric, time lord esque. A lot of time lords are very eccentric. So even though they aren't exactly like the Doctor, as you said, Jace, they sometimes can be very eccentric in their natures. 
Um, and I, I just I got that vibe from him immediately, especially with how willing he was to put himself like in between the angels and Claire. I and kind of like it when you know a human steps up and it's just. Oh awesome. yeah, no, I think, and I yeah, think that's and I, what it really is. Well, and I think that also you know there was that that insight we got on the he's you know always been second best at you know things or whatever. So. I think that that's probably a driving factor for the character as well. Yeah. I like how his house also was like the kind of headquarters for a lot of this story and and them barricading themselves. And he's like questioning whether he was, that was a very smart idea to just hide it downstairs in the basement. Um, But um, I, when the doctor actually asks him for a television, that's like almost a nod directly back to remembrance of the Daleks when the seventh doctor actually uses a television to talk to Davros in much the same way that they're watching Davros. out for the weeping angels in this episode. So I just thought that was kind of a cool thing. And not to mention the other nod to the past, which is Jody Whittaker saying, reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, which is directly from John Every Curtin. single doctor has <laughs> probably said this. And I've seen it in so many things. Even as a little kid, like Jimmy Neutron's brain blast looks exactly like the Doctor's TARDIS going through a time vortex. And one of Jimmy Neutron's like famous quotes is something about reversing the polarity of XYZ. Because well, he's a boy genius. And I'm just like, wow, so much inspiration. The funny thing is, is that John Pertwee only said it in one or two of his original stories back in the 70s. And then said it again once more in The Five Doctors. And that was it. But because it was so iconic of his doctor that it it basically was something he would say almost every single time he went to a convention. And then after that, it was just like up and up until he passed, he was just always using that quote because it just that was him. So the a lot of nods to the past. Yes, Matt Smith used the same quote a few times. Um, and I think that's that's a really good kind of nod to the past. That get another thumbs up for this episode. Indeed. Another thumbs down to talk about in this episode is the very beginning when um, they're trying to escape from the TARDIS and the doctor tells everybody to blink when uh, when the time is right. And when she says to blink, they all just close their eyes for an extended period of time. And in my world... That is not a blink. That is closing your eyes. Unless you tell me every night when someone goes to sleep, they blink once. I mean, is that a blink? (laughs) Come on. I I would have to disagree. I think that was kind of a a given that they had to actually close their eyes so they didn't see the angel. That was kind of the point. Yeah, that's how I interpreted it first, too. But, you know, going (laughs) in a second time, you need to take another critical layer and and pass, you know, on, on all these things. Yeah, I'd like to point out around, like, I think probably in the same, later in that same scene, uh, I'm actually going to say this is more of a thumbs-up moment because it shows some consistency for the Doctor of, you know, they, they the TARDIS stops and the Doctor's like, you guys, anything could be out there. We could be, you know, in all sorts of horrible danger. We could be in the middle of the Angel's, you know, dark plan. Essentially, the only place we can't be is where we wanted to be. Instead of flying away, let's go out the door. <laughs> but Jace, you had a good point about this. I forgot what my point was. <laughs> that the doctor probably was going to want to go out of the TARDIS to actually find out what was really going on out there because that's what the doctor does. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's totally in character for the doctor. It's, uh, you know, 
goes back to first the first doctor even you yeah. know who lied to his companions and like broke part of the TARDIS intentionally <laughs> to like force them to explore and then met the Daleks and all that started. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, they were going to get there eventually. Like the whole Leaving Angel situation was them trying to get to the TARDIS. So the doctor was probably like, well, they got the TARDIS. We might as well like see what they want as opposed to wait another like 20 regenerations to see them get a hold of it again. Well, yeah. A curiosity is always the doctor's downfall. We always know that. Killed the cat, taken out the doctor a few times. I mean, what's next? Yeah. The universe? Who knows? Um, the next universe? It's all in flux. <laughs> Just like our ratings for this season, you know? Yeah, should we should we launch into those? Absolutely. I could. So as a reminder, you know, we, we are rating our episodes here, and we're also, in each episode, since it's a continuous story, rating uh, the season... Um, as a whole, so far. So that is the one that, of course, week to week is still in flux. All right. So this episode, as I've said before, I, I have some gripes. There's, you know, I, I've, I spotted a technical flaw or two. I, I might hold them, you know, their feet to the fire, you know, in terms of some language and, and the semantics of what makes blank a blank, you know. Probably still a good production choice to use that, that form of language, you know, as well. So. Um, that's okay, I'll, I'll give that a pass. But um, I worry that we have a lot of big epic moments in this episode is around the whole Weeping Angels um, that change the Weeping Angels and a lot about what we loved or and or feared about them, um, too. Um, it could be a, a wonderful change moving into the future as well, um, and I'd like to see how it develops, and I hope they really... Um, continue with it and we get more details about you know turning into weeping angels how it works you know what they're what they're all about at this point if we're gonna um, open the can of worms but you know we, we had the problems with them you know talking um, and, and how that was happening and just introducing a lot of new elements where um, I don't know I think it's just a risk moving forward here as well um, but all that being said this is thrilling storytelling Big epic moments, a great cliffhanger to round everything out. Um, and, you know, it just had a lot of good threads between it as well. We have, you know, more character development for Belle and um, the story um, of, of that planet. And um, and was it was it Swarm? Is that? Swarm. Well, Azul is the uh, female, I believe. Azul. Yeah, where Azul was um, feasibly imprisoning tons and tons Azure, of people on mass. So. Yeah, Azure. Um, so I, I love that as well. Um, so there was a, a lot of good pieces here. Um, character developments, interesting, you know, plot lines with the, with the time loop is, you know, it might be expected kind of with, uh, with Peggy and the angels, but I thought it was fun and, and straightforward. It's a complex story without being complicated. Um, and that's what I think gives it a lot of value too. So despite my gripes and my, my concerns, this is a fantastic standalone episode um, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for a few other things to really give it a 10 out of 10, but for me, this is getting a solid 9 out of 10, and I don't think, um, I'll, I'll regret it, um, afterwards. Um, still, you know, wondering about the, the series as a whole at this point. Um, it's hard to put myself into, um, shoes of another time, because I, um, I have to be honest, let people know I've seen the next episode coming up here. Um, but from where, where this stands, you know, I, I can keep consistently with the story at, um, at an eight out of 10 for the season. 
Okay, so it's probably my turn. I like this episode a lot. I really liked um, Jericho's personality and character. I feel like that's kind of what we needed in something as intense to as intense as this like newly reinvented version of the Weeping Angels. Before the Weeping Angels, I thought were great. I absolutely loved Blink. But in this case, we're getting a lot more background. We're seeing them talk. We're seeing them move. We're seeing them come out of pieces of paper. Like, that's kind of terrifying. And the fact that the doctor threw the paper in the fire to burn it, and it just made things so much worse was something I don't think anyone could have, you know, expected to happen. But that was kind of cool seeing a Weeping Angel on fire. Um, So I really like Jericho. Claire and the Weeping Angel situation I thought was really interesting, and it was very, very evil to masquerade as a human to kind of sink the doctor in. It was just twist after twist after twist, and I really liked that. Um, Other than that, I mean, I liked Yaz a lot. I really liked how she kind of became the doctor when the doctor wasn't around. Like, in her time period, she's the doctor, while the doctor's out in a completely different time period doing whatever. She's doing the crowd control. She's the one being asked all the questions. She's the one making the major decisions, blah, 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 blah. And though I have seen the second episode, um, I think that this is a really good kind of trajectory that Yaz is going because do we know or do y'all know if they're going to get out of that time period are they going to be stuck in that time period I don't know but just balls I mean other than that I mean I don't really have that much more to say I think we all touched base on a lot of different aspects of the episode very well I would probably give this episode a 9 out of 10 not because it was like horribly bad or anything I think it was a really great episode um, there's just some confusing points, but maybe they'll be answered. I don't know. I hate those horrible 9 out of 10 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and for the season? For the season. I still give it a 10. All right. I think I'm up now. I really enjoyed this this episode a lot. Um, I don't think it was the best Weeping Angels episode. I don't think it was the worst. Um, I think that there was... Yeah, I think there was a lot lot of good, you know, character development for the Weeping Angels at large, and I thought that uh, I liked Jericho. Claire was a little bit, like, more of a plot point than a character still, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's that. I thought, uh, yeah, I definitely thought that there were a lot of good aspects of it. I thought a lot of the, uh, you know, I thought that, like, the great-uncle and great-aunt who were taking care of the girl were just, you know kind of poignant characters even though they were like very much side characters and that was kind of fun as well but uh yeah all in all I liked it um I am going to give this one an 8.5 out of 10 I thought you know it it was it was a good one oh I also I, I liked the the weeping angels being in the walls with all their arms sticking out that was that was pretty uh great <laughs> visual there and yeah, for the born of rocks they teleport through rocks I mean, they are wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Um, they, we know they can rebuild themselves out of rocks even after they themselves have been, like, worn down and lost their wigs and stuff. So there's no reason they couldn't emerge from stone. <laughs> um, and I guess for the season, I think I'm going to go with, an, uh, with a 9 out of 10. Okay. The doctor steps out of her TARDIS and immediately smells this guy's coat. 
I'm starting off with that because that's something that she usually would use the sonic for. But in this case, she actually uses another intelligence other than the sonic. I appreciated that. Well, we've, yeah, we've seen the doctor do stuff yeah. with scent. Was oh, it because was the sonic was on the fire at the shoot. time? Though? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. In this episode, we were we didn't just have the sonic the whole time. Although then later she's points it at a rock and just goes downhill from there. Psychic paper made an appearance. Too. Uh, yes, exactly. Psychic paper came back. I have to say that this episode is probably, in my opinion, the second best um, Weeping Angel story, and I think it's because the feel of the Weeping Angels from Blink have been brought back in this story. Um, the way that it was directed, the way the camera work worked on the, the movement of the angel. You don't necessarily see the angels moving at all. It's all done with that flash um, photography, and basically you're getting the image as they're moving, but one at a time. I like that. That's that's much better than some of the other stories where you actually see them moving or this, of course, the ridiculousness of the Statue of Liberty being a, a weeping angel. That Those kinds of things are kind of off base. What about the Time of Angels? Time of Angels was decent. But again, I think this is really bringing back the, the fear factor of the angels that we hadn't really had since Blink. Um, with that said, we also had some amazing characters. I think Claire, it was very difficult. It's very difficult to take a character who's under siege and being taken over by yet another character to then have a whole lot of characterization. She's out of her own time. She's in a different area of, of the universe, basically. So she's kind. it's kind of hard to really ground her characterization in this. And But we have the fear that she has of turning into an angel. And you, Jace, pointed out that it was very Stanley Kubrick of them when they created the bathroom scene where she sees her wings on her. And all yeah, the colors. because the colors are very intense. It was just a big room that was empty with one single person. It reminded me of the bathroom in The Shining. I thought that was very, very cinematic and very not like anything I've ever seen from Doctor Who before. And as to Shelby's point when she was saying, oh, I was, if you had told me that there was going to be a six-part story at the beginning of this era, I would have been like, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. But, I mean, it worked out very well. It wasn't kind of like Classic Who, where it could have been six stories long and could have made into three episodes. The other nice thing about these episodes is that they are almost a full hour long, which is giving it another additional almost 15 minutes, sometimes even 20 um, minutes of additional w material yeah, to Yeah, and work I think with. the Classic episodes problem might have more so been the fact that they were 23 minutes long rather than because they were multi-episode stories. Well, if you think about the classic era, you're, you're thinking of smaller episodes that were watched one per week. So it, it made sense for the time and for the way that they produced it at that sure. point. This one, we're, we're kind of, this is almost like a six-part movie so mm -hmm. to speak, where you're getting bits and pieces of the movie at, at, at a time. So it's like watching The Lord of the Rings uh, all, but not all at once, just watching it like in segments. Um, but I think what, I, I mean, Jericho by far is one of my all-time favorite characters in Doctor Who. He's all right up there with Sabalon Glitz and Duggan from City of Death and and uh, Madame Vastra and a couple of the others that, uh, of course, we all love. I mean, side character, of course. Um, and I'm very excited that he's moving on into the other episodes for the rest of the season. 
Um, with that said, I think there are some questions that come out of this episode that I don't know if they're going to even be answered. But mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's one of the problems with having a six-parter is that you're going to continuously have questions that keep popping up. Will Chibnall be able to wrap things up in the sixth episode? Who knows? Maybe he's going to continue it into the specials. I don't know. All I know is that there's a lot to wrap up with Vinder and Bell, and you've got the Doctor's whole thing going on here, and you've got Yaz and Dan off and with Jericho now in 1901. So you've got all these... <coughs> it, it kind of just is like a spider web. Oh. Trying to trying to find your way throughout all the different plots. And that can detract from things, but as a standalone episode, this deserves a strong 8 out of 10 for me. I think it, um, does, it does its job. It's very well crafted, and even the music, music uh, was notable for this episode because it was actually a little bit more in your face. I'm not saying it should overpower the dialogue or overpower the the whole story, but you needed some more of that that kind of disconnect or dissonance, I should say, from the the music that that we had when Murray Gold was there, especially for Weeping Angels, because Blink had some of the scariest music I've heard. This kind of replicated that, but in a new way, and I appreciated that. Um, Overall, this story just was strong. Um, that, of course, means that I'm going to continue rating this season as an 8 out of 10. Let's see if we can keep it going for next week. <laughs> Indeed. Let us see. All right. Well, see us on the social medias and all, and follow us and email us at the website should you need anything. Um, but have a, have a great week, everyone, um, and so long for now. And happy December. Bye. Bye. Bye.